Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When I first saw my parents, it's emotional, but the main catalyst for it is when I first saw my brothers. Mm. When I came back and they all came into my hospital room. And obviously... There's a point in my life where I thought that would never happen again. So when they came in, it was just complete. We all just lost it. But it was great. It was great that we did that together. And it's great that we we're able to feel those emotions together. When you conjure up an idea of what strength looks like, would it be physical muscles you'd see? Here at Give Me Strength, we believe that strength doesn't look a certain way. For some, it may be the kilograms on their deadlift, but for others, it may be overcoming challenges that life can throw at us or developing a resilience through difficult experiences. My name is Alice Living. I'm a personal trainer, best-selling author, and influencer who knows only too well that strength is so much more than being just about the physical. And it's my mission now to use this podcast to inspire you with stories from people who've had to find courage through the most challenging or darkest of times, and who can help all of us to be inspired to be not just physically, but mentally stronger too. Welcome to Give Me Strength. It's not all that often in life you get to meet truly remarkable people, but I'm convinced that by the end of this episode, you're going to see how Henry Fraser is just that. A talented rugby player and one of four brothers, Henry was throwing a rugby ball around as soon as he could walk. And after showing increasing promise in the sport, Henry had just moved to Dulwich College on a sports scholarship when he decided to go away on holiday to Portugal with his new school friends. It was during that holiday that Henry's life changed irreparably, causing life as he knew it to slam to a crashing halt. But it was through the deepest darkness and some of the toughest adversity that life can throw at you that Henry's inspiring story really began. Henry, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you so much. So for those that don't know, Henry and I actually went to school together, which is crazy. And I remember you... A long time ago, a long time ago. A very long time ago. And I remember you being in the year above me. And um, yeah, I think... It was it was a funny time, and I don't remember. You probably didn't even know who I was, but I remember being like, "Oh, he's so cool." (laughs) But um, I wonder if you could first share a bit about your upbringing. I know you're one of four brothers, which must be there are four of you, right? Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah, it was an interesting time growing up. Is um, I mean, it's a very, I mean, competitive household to say the least. Um, Everything we do, no matter what, it ended up in some kind of argument. One of us wanting to win, most of us being bad losers. But it was fun. I mean, we were a very close family. Mum and dad always made sure that we kind of spent a lot of time together and kind of had always had meals together mm. and all these things. And we all went through the same school path, basically. And so we spent a lot of time together, but we also had our friends outside of, of that. But it was fun. It was a lot of fun growing up with four boys. It was always out in the garden playing some kind of sport. And you're all good at sport, right? So your brother is a professional rugby player. Yeah, so one of the um, second brother is a... Um, recently retired um, through injuries he's made a glass so it doesn't really matter um, <laughs> but yeah we're all um, quite good at sport which I guess made the competitiveness kind of that I was much more say. increase it that much more so <laughs> poor mum um, kind of having to kind of be around that much what testosterone mom, all the time what did your mum do when you were growing up did she, was she, did she join in um, <laughs> no if we were kind of inside and 
doing stuff and mucking around or kind of getting into arguments, you just kind of just boot us into the garden and go, go play it. Go Get play out. outside. We'll go play. And just weigh, yourself, weigh yourselves out and then, <laughs> then come back in when you're tired. She'd be umpire. <laughs> and um, I wonder if you could take us back. So that holiday that you went on to Portugal was when you were 17? Yeah, so it's just after AS exams. Mm-hmm. First holiday abroad alone. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just been asked by the guys my, at the end of my first year at Dulwich and they invited me out and they went the previous year. So I thought, brilliant, okay, it's really nice of them to invite me. Kind of the holiday started off as a bit of a nightmare when I got to the airport, all the way to the boarding gate to find out my passport was a few months expired. So that was a bit of a nightmare. So then I had to do the walk of shame back through the airport. <laughs> Whilst everyone else walking off on the holidays, and I was just kind of head down, earphones in, just oh, no. grab my bag and get the train home. Mum and dad very kindly decided that they'd sort a new passport out. So the only place that did a new passport, sorry, was in Liverpool the next day. Oh, All God. the London ones were booked up. So my dad drove me up to Liverpool at three, four in the morning the next day. And then we had to wait around in Liverpool for four hours once the passport was being processed. Then dad had to drop me off the airport because obviously he had to get back to work. So I just sat in Liverpool Airport for about five hours before my flight. Eventually got out to Portugal. Um, a 90 euro cab journey later once I landed at the airport. Just met my friends in the evening at the bar just down from the villa where I was staying at. Dropped the stuff off at the villa and headed off for night out. And then the next few days was a lot of fun. It was just kind of lads holiday away. Most of the day just spent on the beach. Then we're out in the evenings and kind of just doing the usual stuff. And then on the fifth day, I was just kicking around on the beach. We were playing rugby. I was just feeling a bit hot, so I decided to run into the sea. As I had done the previous few days, I'd been on the beach. Kind of no difference what I'd done. And as I've run in, I've just dived forward. And as I've gone in, as I thought the seabed was getting deeper, it's kind of, there's just a sandbank there. And just pretty much went headfirst into it. And then just... Kind of open my eyes, expecting to get up, and but open my eyes, just staring at a seabed, basically just floating there. And yeah, it was a pretty scary time, to say the least. It was, um, I mean, at that point, I thought that was it for me. I kind of wasn't sure what was happening. Yeah, because you say that you you basically just couldn't move, couldn't breathe, couldn't shout for help. Yeah, couldn't do anything lying there. Um, and then it got to the point where I just tried to turn my head as much as I could. I kind of got my mouth half out of the water. And my friends were around, and they kind of thought I was just kind of lying there taking the piss yeah. as kind of boys do they'd be like mm-hmm. um, but then it was only when I got my mouth half out that one of the boys was close by and I was just like you okay and just went no so I called over one of the other boys and they just dragged me out onto the beach and then yeah from that moment it all kind of everything changed so you were airlifted as I recall off the beach yeah so then um, waited for the ambulance to come ambulance took me to a kind of nearby area for helicopter then fly me up to Lisbon so we were down in the Algarve down south and then we were mm. obviously flying up to Lisbon kind of mm. more central so then I was just obviously taken away from friends mm. I had no idea if people contacted my family I'd asked the hospital to do it but then found out later down the line that it was actually one of the boys parents um, who had managed to get hold of my parents yeah. to kind of say that Henry, Henry had been taken to hospital and then yeah from then on it was three weeks there in Lisbon where I had all kinds of illnesses, pneumonia, I had MRSA, I had to have a pacemaker because my heart kept um, stopping and all these things going on and operations to realign my neck because I'd mm. dislocated the vertebrae, which had crushed the spinal cord, which had caused the paralysis. Mm. So it was a pretty heavy few weeks. Mm. <laughs> so am I right in thinking that when you first were airlifted from the, from the beach, you were completely on your own and you also probably you didn't realise the severity of the situation? No, no idea at that point. It was um, on the beach, there was a couple of rugby coaches there and they were brilliant at kind of keeping me calm and kind of making sure my body is being kept steady and out of the water and my neck mm-hmm. was being kept straight. And they just thought at that point it was a compression injury mm-hmm. where, the, where I'd hit my head, everything, just body had kind of gone into shock. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so at that point I had no idea at all what happened. Um, I knew something was kind of more serious when I got to hospital when people then started to rush around after I had the x-rays when they saw how much the vertebrae had been dis- dislocated. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at that point I really wasn't 100% sure about what was happening. 
and you were finally reunited with your parents I'm sure that was like a, a hugely emotional experience but it was actually the point that had me in t- I was sat at my kitchen table just crying my eyes out when I was listening to your book was when your surgeon described the extent of your injuries to your parents so I I don't know whether that was kept from you but this is something that your mum had actually recalled to you much later on you said yeah I was um they were told the extent of what happened before I was told mm. um so yeah before they'd even seen me they'd just taken into a little side room mm. and the surgeon just said oh um Henry's severed his spinal cord and he's going to be a tetraplegic for the rest of his life so of course my parents I was a bit like well this is so obviously mum just kind of screamed dad just in shock mm. from then didn't really know what to do mm. um but the surgeon was by all accounts fantastic and he just just calmly and just told my parents like Henry needs you now more than ever at this point you need to mm. just be there for him and I think there was something so special in reading that was like when you feel like your world is crashing down around you mm. actually for him to just have that clarity to say do you know what like this is the moment when he needs you the most and yeah. you're just gonna have to be be strong for him no, exactly and it's that clarity that is so important when you kind of breaking bad news to people and you're having to tell people tough things that it's that honesty and clarity is what helps people accept mm. what's happening mm. you're, you're not giving them false hope you're not dancing around it you're just telling them but this is how it is Mm. and yes there's going to be shock and at times where it will be upsetting but really it helps you accept what's happening because you know you know exactly what you're confronted with and you were really poorly in those first few weeks there was a lot of very close calls in terms of of us actually losing you um do you want to describe maybe what happened with that when i first went to the hospital after the x-rays, they first put my head in traction. Mm-hmm. So I was lying flat on the bed. Mm-hmm. So they'd seen the, disc, the vertebrae had been dislocated and they wanted to get it to slide back into place mm-hmm. without having to actually open up the neck and do it by hand. So they put this, basically this metal like halo around my head and they screw these screws into either side of my head. And then I'm lying flat and there's like a pulley system on the end of the bed and they hang some weight off it to try and just pull the head up, basically. Mm-hmm. But after three days, that just wasn't working. And then my heart rate and oxygen levels were just dropping. So they quickly rushed me to surgery and that just didn't work. And they tried to go through the front of my neck and they just couldn't get to the neck at all. But going through there, they just caused loads of traumas to the body and everything. And so then I came out of the operating theatre and from then that point, I was unable to breathe for myself. So I'd, these two big tubes went into my mouth, down my throat. There was a ventilator making sure my lungs were still getting enough oxygen. Mm. I was on these drips because then all these antibiotics, I had pneumonia um, and MRSA. And I was just, body was just in a complete mess, basically. Mm. And then I was in kind of panicking a lot and getting a lot of angst and all these things going on in my head. And it was just causing my heart rate to just drop off all the time. So eventually I had to put a pacemaker in to keep it at that steady because it zeroed out a few times Mm. and... And then had the second operation a week later, where they eventually went to, had to go through the back of the neck to get the vertebrae into place so it's being held in by some screws and wires and bolts and all these things. Yeah. And then after that, I still came out of a pretty bad state, but at least by that point, I was on some kind of road to recovery. And you were sort of in and out of consciousness, I imagine, for a lot of this, but ultimately your family were the biggest support around you at this time. Can you explain what those first few weeks were like with them and, and how, how helpful they were for you. I know your parents dropped everything to come and be with you in, in Portugal. Yeah, well, mum and dad were amazing. They flew out pretty much the next day. They thought it was just going to be a few days trip, end up being a few weeks. So, mm. I mean, they didn't pack enough. They didn't prepare very well. Um, <laughs> but they were also now kind of getting rotors between the two of them. So one of them could go out to the hotel and sleep. One would be with me. Mm. Um, they're trying to spend as much time as, with me as they could. But even the nurses and doctors there were saying, you'd go out, go get some food, go have a drink, go yeah. get out of this environment for a bit, which for them was great. It definitely helped them because obviously it's a pretty tough situation. But even whilst they were with me, um, obviously my brothers were at home. Yeah. Um, my oldest brother would have been 21 at that point. Tom would have been 21, Will 19, Dom would have been 14. Mm. So they were here alone and at that point, friends and other family members were then being incredible over here for them um, to support them because mum's a feeder 
<laughs> so I should love having four boys. She could feed us much she wanted. So Greek, Cypriot blood, just to get us fat. Um, so everyone knew how much we liked to eat, how much we enjoyed food, how much yeah. mum always cooked for us and all these mm. things. And then people just would just leave um, food parcels on the doorstep for my brothers. And so then when they'd come back from school or uni or whatever, there'd just be food on the doorstep yeah. for them to eat. There was this incredible support network that kind of without ever asking was just there. And it was a huge, it's a huge part of my story, a huge part of my journey is that mm. support. I don't think I'll be able to get through it if we didn't have that, everything else going on around. It's amazing how in a crisis you really feel that support from others that, you know, day to day you might not reach out to other people, mm. but suddenly when there is a crisis, there are those people that will drop everything and be there for you. And having that network of people must must have felt incredible. I know that you said you were reading, you like, you got cards in hospital and you just kept reading them over and over again, just feeling that sense of support. And I think it's really special that you had so many people that wanted to be there for you, support you. Yeah, it was. It was, and it wasn't, it was anything. It wasn't, um, it wasn't just those big things. It was just as much as getting a card from someone as someone that I hadn't seen in a while. Someone is, it is amazing. It's, it's one of the things when I go out and give talks now that I always tell people to mm. encourage people to do is that if you kind of know someone's in a situation where they're struggling or, and they're just anything, just reach out to them. No matter how small it might seem, just yeah. even just a text, just do something because mm. you have no idea kind of how much, how much that can help a person, how much that can, change a person's mindset how much and encourage them to you know, want to get better want to do more and it was huge to me like you said I was reading those cards constantly and every time I got a new card I was just crying all the time mm-hmm. then that kind of first probably five weeks after the accident I then they were cried so much in my life I was just because you were you were like sort of before that you were and and I hope you don't mind me saying, but you were like a typical rugby lad. So showing yeah. emotions probably wasn't something that came naturally to you. So no, suddenly you're being challenged by your life being turned upside down. You're having to manage emotions that you probably never in your life imagined that you'd have to encounter. How did you find yourself kind of ha- allowing yourself, I guess, to have permission to show that emotion? Did it just come out naturally or did you just think, do you know what? I just need to let go of this. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was when I first saw my parents as emotional, but the main the main catalyst for it was when I first saw my brothers. Mm. When I came back and they all came into my hospital room. And obviously there's a point in my life where I thought that would never happen again. Um, so when they came in, it was just complete. We all just lost it. But it was great. It was great that we did that together. And it was great that we were able to feel those emotions together. Because like you said, yeah, it was an environment where boys don't do it when they're supposed to do those types of things. Yeah. And, weren't meant to and it's kind of like you'd be taking the piss out of if you mm. did but I don't care that I did it I'm not embarrassed that I did it I did it when my friends came to see me we cried mm. together mm. and they don't mind saying it either it's you can just release so much mm. just by not holding back your emotions and it is it did make things so much easier for us going forward that people a lot of people ask me kind of oh how have, how have your friends been how are your family how have they been different around you since I've just said no because because we've been through it together we've cried together we've released our emotions at the same time together we've we've never tried to hold anything back and doing that straight away allowed us to then just kind of be normal friends normal family together again Mm. as we had released everything together we were able to move on together Mm. I always liken you know if you hold emotions into being like a pressure cooker that at some point it's going to have to come out somehow and if you bottle stuff up it will come Definitely. out. It'll yeah. just come out 10 times worse because the steam will get so high yeah. that you suddenly just explode. So I think it's so empowering to hear that as someone who could have just bottled up a lot of that emotion, you did feel completely comfortable. I think that's so special in the comfort of your family to be able to just let everything out and that you went through that journey together, I think is incredible and, and is a testament to how, how close you all are. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, releasing those emotions is big and is key and people need to be encouraged to do it more yeah. and following on from emotions I wanted to talk to you about anger because I know it's something that you mentioned once in your book and I thought it was a really interesting thing because I I'd imagine for some people when something tragic happens to them a lot of the time we can go instantly go into the mindset of why me why why has this happened to me you know why is this yeah. like happened to me of all people 
did you ever feel that sense of anger? And if you did, how did you help yourself? Because anger is a horrible feeling to hold on to. How did you feel yourself being able to overcome that and challenge that? Portugal was probably kind of most, when I had most anger and just frustration more than anything. Because I was on a lot of medications and things, but I wasn't, my mind wasn't really kind of going, functioning um, how it normally was. I was mm. just having a lot of thoughts, a lot of kind of weird things going through my mind. And I wasn't, and I wasn't completely sure of the situation at that point. I had no idea about kind of the long-term prognosis or anything. Mm. So there's a lot of just wanting things to happen, to get done. I was just getting annoyed at nurses and things for, for no kind of sensible reason at all. Yeah. I was just wanting kind of more medication and more of this or more of that and all these things and just like couldn't do it. I was just mm. there was a lot of frustration and it wasn't I say I guess then it wasn't until I came back to England that I started to mellow out of it and there was a period between I guess coming back and the day before I was in a wheelchair for the first time where things really mellowed out and I was a lot calmer, I was a lot more chilled, I was kind of in this also this kind of weird kind of middle phase, I guess, of denial to a point I'd accepted some things that had happened but there's a lot that a lot more still to come because I just spent my whole time just in a hospital bed I had no idea kind of what life's going to be like in the outside world at that yeah. point so it's a lot of just lying there just in my own little world for a long time and I can get that frustration because as part of your injury you lost physical autonomy of your mm. body and so as someone who would have been able to previously you know scratch their face or get up and walk or go to the toilet themselves that loss of control must have been incredibly frustrating how did you find yourself having to just relinquish control and rely on the help of others because I guess that must have been a difficult thing to come to terms with yeah and it's um that for me I guess was the um kind of the longest thing that took me to accept I guess really was that I'm be reliant on people to do stuff for me for the rest of my life mm. or everything for me mm. and it does take a little while to get used to mm. but it's one of those things after this while it just becomes natural and then for me that's just I just see it as everyone lives their lives differently to each other and this is just my way of living it mm. I guess when I went back to school a few months after I left hospital that I was then boarding weekly boarding down there and I was having to rely on other people to do stuff all the time and mm. I was having to take some more control of my life and mm. and that helps a lot actually yeah so you're back in the UK um, having been flown back from Portugal and you were transferred to Stoke Mandeville Hospital what was the recovery like there because I know you started to go into a, you said a different phase of your recovery so you were starting to be a little bit better yeah so I was um, intensive therapy when I first came back mm. and then I went to the acute ward we started to um, really just set goals and started to build from kind of the most basic level my first goal was the first day on the ventilator was I was told I'd have five minutes off the ventilator mm. and just attached an oxygen tank to the tracheotomy instead mm. the next day I said okay you can have ten minutes a day and then I started okay, I did the ten minutes and I felt good and there's these tiny, they're tiny little increments which in a day is they're such fleeting moments but yeah. for me it was to just when I had that goal it was to be okay that's my goal I want to just that 10 minutes will be everything I've got will just mm. be focused on 10 minutes focusing on my breathing and then if I can achieve it great I can rest afterwards but I'd always try and recognise progress no matter how small it was yeah no matter how insignificant it seems to everyone else to me it was progress I think that's the inner sportsman in you <laughs> that like competitiveness <laughs> that every day is a different challenge and I love that and I think like the thread throughout your book and what I think is so special is you challenge yourself all the time and you say it could be the smallest of things but as someone that had been fully ventilated five mm. minutes of independent breathing is massive so it shouldn't be negated at all like that's incredible and that mindset I guess isn't particularly common I think that you that you really pushed yourself and that's definitely a common thread is that you never became complacent in your recovery you were always looking to well, what, what more can I achieve and I think that's you know relatable to anyone in life is that we can always get a little bit more out of ourselves and even if it's the smallest of challenges in each day that we can do that uh, yeah and it's recognizing those challenges and those that progress and it does make such a difference to your mindset mm. it does give you a boost but before my accident I used to 
I shied away from a lot of challenges. Because um, you actually said that you were quite fearful when you were growing up, and you, and you never sort of broke out of your comfort zone. No, I was, oh, I was very happy in my comfort zone. <laughs> very happy. And I still am happy in my comfort zone, but I'm, it's also good to every now and then just step out and being uncomfortable can be good. It's good to challenge yourself. Well, I think something, that, something that's really important is, yes, it's good to challenge yourself, but it's also really good to know your limitations mm. because you could exhaust yourself. If you'd have done 10 minutes when you could only do five, mm. you'd have been back at square one maybe. So yeah. knowing your limitations and saying, right, today I can achieve five minutes. Tomorrow I might do 10, but today I can do five and knowing that limitation so that you're not doing too much and not putting too much pressure on yourself. Yeah, those, it took me a while to get into that mindset because I, I came out of hospital having done all these things and I was wanting to be out and doing more all the mm. time and being out and about and pushing myself a lot. And then it got to a point where I was just shattered. I spent a lot, half my time being completely exhausted, half time doing stuff and mm. it wasn't good balance. It wasn't good for my health either. And suddenly mm. I thought, okay, well, I need to, I need to recognize those limits. And yeah. then it allowed me to then work around things much better. And weirdly I'm able to do more now because I'm able to rest at the right times. I'm able to understand myself, my body better. I'm able to, and when I do that, I'm able to then go out more and mm. enjoy my time, enjoy my time a lot more. We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. I think it's a conversation I have with people all the time that we mm. always think that more is better. Mm. And actually yeah, like yeah. half the time it's not, yeah. you know, we all need to rest. We all yeah. need to recognize our limitations. And if you do everything all the time with a hundred percent, you're never going to achieve anything because you'll be no. exhausted all the time. So I'm it is like yeah. picking your moments, knowing where you want to like go a hundred percent and knowing where you can then pull back so that you can give a hundred percent to those times. And I think, that's so relatable to so many people and the fact that you've got to a point where you feel like you really recognize that and you're saying oh, I, I can actually do more now that I that I have got into a routine with that I think is great and definitely something that we can all learn from and there was one specific moment in your recovery and it's something that really touched me and it's this sense of gratitude and I think gratitude is a quite a difficult feeling and we're told to always practice gratitude but actually it's sometimes quite hard to recognize and to feel grateful for stuff if you've never been challenged in any way and there was a moment where you said you hadn't had a sip of water for I think it was what six weeks or something like that yeah about that and you were finally allowed to have some water on a cotton bud and just the gratitude of being able to feel your thirst quenched I guess yeah I mean yeah it was it was amazing the feeling was incredible then when i was able to have a proper sip of water it was just like oh this tastes like nothing i've ever had before and it's it's impossible to really describe how how much it meant and how but you then suddenly realize oh this is something so small but you, you have taken granted and i think when it comes to gratitude people always think gratitude is bigger things is it's like having nice cars or a nice house and being grateful it's it's nice. It's just the most basic things, kind of the love of people close to you. Is it's fresh air, it's the sun, it's the food you eat. It's all those things, and it's recognizing those things. It's recognizing mm. those moments again. Are just such they're such mood enhancers mm. that if you can kind of wake up every day and think of a few things, your, your day starts off like like I've never started the day before. Is yeah. is so different. And I think the importance of that is for example with you when everything is stripped away you mm. really appreciate the smallest things and your your book I guess rides on that theme yeah. that like appreciating the small things is sometimes much greater than appreciating the bigger things you know the beauty in every day the yeah. most mundane of things can have the most beautiful outcomes and can make such a difference to someone and I think that moment with the water was really reflective of, I guess, a lot of stuff that you, in your life, that you you now take so much gratitude in. Yeah, and it's, um, it is hard for people to always recognise those mm. things, but if you really, if you look for it, you can find it. If people really sit back and look at their lives and look at their day or something, most days you'll be able to find something yeah. that you can go, oh, that was a good moment. Mm. I enjoyed that. And you're just like, oh, okay, well, 
you can recognize that and great and it's and it is tough and it takes a while and you have to really kind of work your mind into thinking that way but when you do it's it changes a lot yeah I know that you engaged really well with your physios and with your physical recovery you sound like you had an amazing physio but it was actually the fact that you didn't really engage with the psychological support that I found really interesting that you had sort of counsellors I guess that were trying to help you but you you were quite resistant to that yeah and it was um well because I had this day in hospital quite early on this first day I was put into a wheelchair that was probably the worst day of my life I reckon it starts off as a brilliant day because I was finally getting out of bed I was in this big wheelchair I had these kind of big armrests supporting my headrests because I couldn't still couldn't support my own head at that point I had the track hilting my throat with an oxygen tank attached to the bottom of the chair I was going around the hospital with a physio mum and one of mum's friends and it's end of summer it was great went outside it's still warm then we were about to come through the main entrance and these two big glass doors and it's the first time in two months that I'd seen my reflection and kind of the world at that point just froze and I was just staring at this kind of razor thin just little weak young man and I just didn't recognise myself too. I'd lost by that point nearly four and a half stone. I was just so then it was just horrible. And suddenly I got back to my room. I just broke down. I lost mm-hmm. it and just pretty much cried all day um, and most of the night. And I just pulled the curtain around my bed. Just wanted to be able to hug my mum, and I couldn't even do that. And I was just that was the day where I really started to question like, why me? Why has this happened? And all, I just went through that whole process. And it was like that night I was on some pretty hefty sleeping tablets as well at that point but that mm-hmm. night I couldn't sleep and it was about four in the morning and I was just staring at the ceiling and I was just all cried out I was just done and then I had this moment where I was just and it sounds a bit kind of cheesy a bit corny but I generally just had this moment where I was lying there and I just so I thought to myself well okay well, this, like, there's no point feeling this way there's no point me being sad or angry but I've got no one to blame for what's happened I may as well just get on with what's happened mm-hmm. and generally from that day my mindset's completely changed and I was able to completely switch my focus from just focusing on physio and I could really focus on the things that I was, I was able to do. And in hospital, they always kind of tell you things you're not be able to do in the future, you won't be able to do this and that. And I, I thought, well, no, I'm going to look at the other side of it and go, well, I can do these things, I can push myself in the physio again, I can challenge, still challenge myself. Again. So that gave me some real kind of summit acceptance with what happened. Mm. And then when I moved to the rehab board, they're really forcing this me to have counselling. And I just said to them, I don't, like, I really don't need this. I'd rather focus on other things. I'd rather, my counselling is being with my friends, being with my family, enjoying my life, enjoying not my life as I want to live it. And they kept seeing it as me being in denial. And I just wasn't, I really wasn't. And they, they couldn't get past it. But I knew at that point in my own head that I was fine. Yeah. And if I need if I need to speak to someone, I would have spoken to someone. And it's almost as though you'd adjusted mentally far more than anyone had actually appreciated, and that mm. you were almost being held back by the limitations that other people were imposing on you. Yeah, and it was trying to get them to understand that, and mm. that's yeah, that's a great great way to put it. Um, and it was it took a while. There was in hospital that you kind of have to follow the protocol of you have to do certain things in physio. If you have a certain injury, you can only do certain things. You have to see the counsellors many times a week. And I just went, no. Yeah. Mm. No, I want, there's other ways of doing stuff. And I want to show you there's other ways of doing things. I'd never been one to kick back ever in my life. I'd never been one to kind of try and prove people wrong. I'd always just gone with the flow and yeah. kind of gone with what I was told. Um, so this was my time to prove them wrong when I wanted to because they said I couldn't. And all. So... Mentally, I'd adjusted and I was very happy with that. And they kept trying to force it on me, but I just wanted to do it my way and I had done it my way. Yeah. And there was difficult moments, I guess, with physios as well, because you had physios in the hospital saying, well, you can do this and you can do that and you can't do this and you can't Mm. do that. And then you had an external physio who was saying, oh, no, well, actually, what do you want to achieve, Henry? And actually, I think that was a really special moment is in all of this, it must have felt a little bit like you had all of these voices around you saying this, 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 this and giving you all of their opinions and no one actually saying, well, 
what do you want, Henry? Yeah. You know, where do you want to see yourself? What do you want to try and achieve? And it sounds like this physio was the first person to kind of really dial in on that. No, she was, she's kind of one of the biggest players in my journey. So lucky to have um, had her in my life. And again, like I said, if you just kind of you put it perfectly, it was in hospital, it was by the book of certain injury, this is what you can do, you'll be able to do this. And when she first came, when I first day home, I was allowed out of hospital. We was just home, allowed home for half a day. Mm. And we got this physio around and I was put on my bed and, and to uh, the physio bed. And then, like I said, the first thing she came in and asked was, okay, what do you want to be, be able to do? And my whole family in the room and we're just kind of looking at each other going, wait, what? <laughs> and she's like, what do you want to be able to do? And I said, okay, well, I want to be able to push myself in my chair. And she said, okay, right, we're going to work towards that. And she didn't say, you're going to be able to do it. She didn't mm. say, you're not going to be able to do it. She said, okay, we'll just work towards it. And it's that mindset of, okay, just trying things. It's giving people... It's not, she, didn't, she never gave me false hope at any point. Mm. She was very blunt to me all the time. She was brutal. She was kind of just straight to the point with everyone. It was great. It's what we needed. It's, we, we really needed it at that point. So we tried all these different things and we kept trying different things with her. And her kind of model was if you've got a list of 10 things to do you mean you can do one and two and you can't do three it doesn't mean you can't do four five six seven eight nine ten mm. so we're going to try all those other numbers we're going to try all these different things and if three doesn't work at one point it doesn't mean it's not going to work later so we're going to try again but i never got disappointed when things didn't work i never i would just thought okay well i'm going to work harder to try and make it work or we're going to try at a later date and it was just really helped my, my mind kind of focus and dial in as to what I could do more and, and you were achieve, able to achieve so much more so yeah it really it was nice to at the end convince the hospital to get on my way of thinking mm. the way of that Ruth physio showed me stuff and the hospital hated the fact that I was seeing her outside the hospital <laughs> you were cheating on them oh, it's someone there, else yeah. <laughs> but it was great and it was good to show the hospital that there are other, way, are other ways of doing things I completely agree and I think you're right sometimes they're probably taking the safe route because that's what's proven to mm. work and that's what they've always done and so I can obviously understand that but at the same time if you have someone that comes in and says well I'm going to try something different yeah. like change is never a bad thing you know it's always yeah. something that you can try and if it doesn't work you can yeah. go back to the other way but at least you've tried exactly and the hospital were kind of fearful and I'm so happy I did it I'm so happy I showed them yeah you talked about acceptance and that moment when you saw yourself in the window and how you had that moment. And I wondered if you could talk about that in a sense that do you feel like acceptance is a final destination? I think there's um, acceptance comes in stages. I mean, first of all, you've got to recognise when you're in a certain situation, um, when things, I guess, are going bad or wrong or you're, or you're not feeling right, you've got to recognise that, that in yourself first. Mm. And then that allows you to kind of step back a little bit from it and go okay well there's nothing I can do to change this mm. and that first of all to me was just okay well, I can't move basically this is I'm not going to change that but what I'm able to do I'm just going to make the most of what I am able to move basically mm. and just build from there and it took a while and it wasn't until I went to school mm. I think probably halfway throughout the year that I then had 100% fully accepted what was my situation. Yeah. And it did seem a bit mad when I read that, that I was like, what? He left hospital and then straight away, yeah. straight back to school and you wanted to finish your A-levels. That that must have been a real challenge to go back into the life that you were once living and to, I guess, try and achieve the things that you, that you had to put on hold. So you went on to yeah. achieve your economics and your PE-A-level. PE yeah, yeah it, was, um, it was one of the things that quite early on in hospital that I just wanted to do. I wanted mm. to at least say that I finished school come out and say I've at least done my A-levels and then it was yeah it was another box kind of ticked, an, another challenge done must have been an amazing feeling but you didn't stop there can you tell me a little bit about your artwork and getting um, into art yeah so I started it was um, January 2015 mm -hmm. I had a, a bed sore on my back then stuck in bed for a few weeks having to let it breathe and just kind of stay on my sides in bed and every now and then I was allowed to sit up um, just some pillows on my back to keep the pressure off um, and the times I was allowed to sit up I, was allowed, I could go on my iPad and 
would cross my legs, sit me up, put some cushion on my lap, put my iPad on, sit my iPad on top. And I control an iPad with basically a stylus taped on the end of a mouth stick. And I hold the stick in my mouth and touch the screen. Mm-hmm. I'd played a lot of football manager at that point. I'd played a lot of stupid games. I, just, I, was, I was like, my mind was just, I was losing my mind a bit. I was like, this is, this is killing my brain right There's now. There's only so many games you can play there as so well. Many, <laughs> so, so many times you can win all the trophies. Um, <laughs> So I just found this basic drawing app and I just played around on it. And it just starts from there. And it starts off as kind of just the most basic drawings you'll see. They were, there wasn't much to them at all. But I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. And each time I did it, I've kind of got a bit better, a bit more confident in what I was doing, getting used to kind of the motions of things. And then when I was able to get out of bed, I started with pencils or just some very basic drawings. And then eventually, a few months after that, I started to paint him. And that was May 2015. And it's been, um, yeah, it's been a pretty kind of mad time since then. It's kind of progressed. Because I was posting my stuff on social media at that point as well. And the response was great. That gave me a real boost, kind of confirmation that what I was doing was, was all right. I'm going to interject. They're not just great. They are amazing <laughs> and you. for those listening i am going to put henry's social media link below so if you haven't seen any of his artwork please go and have a look because it's like enough I, I can't describe how good they are i mean they are unbelievable one the one that you did of an, is an eagle that just yes. took my breath away and i just yeah. thought it was amazing and i could not believe that you'd done that with your mouth it's incredible thank you i mean it's been coming up to five years i've been doing it now and it's again like most things i've tried to do i've tried to kind of challenge myself and change things up and I've never kind of just settled I've never mm. let myself get too comfortable doing it which has been good because it's allowed me to kind of explore it a lot more and allow my mind to kind of stay open to doing more with yeah. it and you've done exhibitions yeah I've done yeah, a couple of exhibitions it's been it's just been mad it's been it's been weird um, and so are you selling are you selling the prints now as well yeah so I sell limited prints of everything I do and what's your proudest bit of work to date? Oh, so, yeah. so there's one I did recently of a Highland cow that I really love. And the more I look at it, the more I love it. Um, there's a first black and white line I did that really was kind of a turning point in how I was painting, how I was mm. doing things that means a lot to me. And where do you get your inspiration from? Because a lot of them are animals, but you've painted some sports people. I don't know, I just kind of leave my mind open if I see someone on TV or if I see someone on the internet or social media, a cool picture, I'll just think, oh, look, oh, that's cool. I'll just explore that and yeah. kind of find images and just search around and then kind of do my thing with it. So I spend, I spend quite a bit of time before I paint something researching and making sure that it's going to work for me and how I'm doing things and mm. not really try and work out in my head exactly how I'm going to do it before I do it. So mm. it's a bit of a process, but it's fun. I enjoy it. You say your art is, or being an, uh, a mouth artist is, is what you feel most defines you now. Would you still say that? I think it does. For me, I've, that's my comfort zone is being out of the easel. That's, that's, that's me. That's always been me. Is I've always enjoyed my own time. I've yeah. always been kind of very introverted and very happy. When I was young, my brothers would be outside. A lot of time I'd be inside kind of building stuff, making mm. stuff. So when I'm there, I'm very happy. I can shut myself off to the world. I can don't need to be around anyone but I do a lot of public speaking and I enjoy that because that's something that is kind of the complete other end of the spectrum for me that's so out of my comfort zone you wouldn't believe it but I enjoy that because it means that I'm constantly challenging myself I'm I'm having to do different things talk to different audiences answer different questions and I'm always bricking myself before I do a talk I'm always a wreck I'm always a bag of nerves but the moment I get into it, the moment I'm there, I'm fine. And by the end, I feel, it makes me feel great. It makes me mm. fantastic. Mm. And public speaking is something that used to horrify me beyond belief. <laughs> I mean, I even managed to not do my GCSE speaking section because I found so many excuses to not. To be but, fair, I quite love that bit. We're yeah, completely yeah. opposite because oh, yeah, I no, love talking. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was first asked to share my story to a group of people, I just took it because I thought, okay, well, it's kind of something I always got out of before but why not do it why not challenge myself why yeah. not and it's the best decision I made in my life was mm. doing that because yes it's made me uncomfortable a lot of time but it's made me so much more confident in mm. myself and around other people it's 
kind of changed my life completely and it's from that that's what actually led to the book and it's it's completely that decision to do public speaking has completely changed my life so you've written two well you are writing your second book am I allowed to yes. say that yes okay, yeah, good, yeah. thank god <laughs> so you've written one book which is called The Little Big Things yes. <laughs> and then your second book is called The Power in You which is coming out May 14th and so with writing the books you've done your first one which I guess was your story but what's your second book going to be about so the second one is more of um, kind of into the self-help personal development side of things mm. Um, like I said, the first one was more just my story and basically just what happened and how I dealt with certain situations, but it doesn't really go into much depth about how I was really thinking, how I kind of still think now and get on yeah. with my day-to-day life as it is and the challenges that are kind of still in front of me now. Mm. So each chapter is based around questions that I'm regularly asked when I'm out about or giving talks and things. Mm. And they lead into all kinds of different topics about acceptance, gratitude, setbacks just basically what I do day to day and I'm going to have to explain kind of my daily routine how I get ready all these things that are still mm. challenges that I've never kind of really spoken about before mm. and it's just kind of how I stay on top of those things how I deal with those things how a lot of my mind a lot of my time before my accident was kind of my life is defined by my physicality and sport and exercise and gym and all those things whereas mm. now it's kind of don't have those things it has to be in my mind and it's just about my life basically and how I deal with all these all these challenges I wanted to ask you you've overcome so much in your life already what now challenges you just trying to make the most of what I can do trying to enjoy my life as much as I can trying to just be as happy as I can Mm. and that means sometimes I'll try and do less work I'll try and step back from certain situations and I'll just want to do things that make me happy. And what does make you most happy? I mean, being with my friends is the Mm. main thing. Or being out and about, being able to just not worry. I can go out and Mm. enjoy time with my friends and shut shut myself off from everything else that's happened, everything else that might be happening in my life. It's always people I can turn to and just go, right, let's go out and enjoy ourselves and forget everything else and that makes me happy and then I can come back kind of feel fully refreshed and then just attack kind of next week and Mm. find new challenges a new painting a new style a new talk I can do and finishing the book which Mm. is at the moment I need to really finish that Um, but yeah I mean one of my next challenges is I've actually in the process of about to start building my own house so that's going to be that's going to be a new challenge mm. and that's going to come with its own stresses so that's going to be fun mm. but that's going to be a huge next step for me obviously I feel I've been getting kind of too comfortable at home living at home with, and spoke about comfort zones earlier I need to find a new challenge I need to have that thing keeping me on my toes and mm. keeping me keeping me going I think yeah now Henry we have two questions that we ask everyone at the end of every episode yeah. I didn't send them to you in advance, so okay. no pressure. <laughs> but my first question is, what does strength look like to you? I don't I think anyone's able to just be themselves mm. is strength. Mm. Someone who doesn't care about what others think of them, mm. whether it's expressing emotions or how they look or whatever, they're able to just be themselves. And I mean, I've been in a situation now, obviously, where I'm out about and I speak to people in similar situations and a lot of disabled people are kind of stared at or kind of people look at them in weird ways when I'm out and about but the ones I speak to that just kind of just don't care are people that I'm like wow that's quite it's really something mm. again that's something that took me a little while to kind of get used to I think that for me that's strength that's but it's not just disabled people it's anyone it's people, anyone that's able to be themselves express themselves as to who they are and whatever they want to do it's, I think that's great I think that's amazing I think that's a great answer. And my last question is, who in your life demonstrates strength the most? I guess my family. They obviously had to deal with a lot at the start. Um, they all were in their own situations they are going through. Mm. At the start of my accident, obviously my younger brother was the start of his GCSEs. Will had just become a freshman rugby player. Tom was in his final year of uni. Dad was running his own business and obviously just coming out the other side of a recession. We were just in the 
steps of the recession, sorry. So he's having to get through that whilst also kind of be there for the family. Mum was with me in hospital all the time, basically. Mm-hmm. But they were able to do all that alongside being there for me. And that was huge. They showed incredible strength to do that. Mm-hmm. And they all came out the other side almost like it hadn't really happened. And I mm-hmm. think that's huge. Obviously, they were there with me and they were accepting what happened, but for them to give up a lot of their time to be there with me whilst with all those other things going on in their lives. Mm. Yeah, that was huge. That was massive. That's amazing. And I just had one more question because there was a moment where you wrote about how the world didn't stop and no one's world stopped. They carried on going and Mm. you were hugely grateful for that, that no one sort of dropped absolutely everything that, you know, your brother was still at school, another was still at uni and life still went on around you while still with it being there to support you. And I think that's something really special because you wanted that more than anything. You wanted that sense of normality to return to. Yeah, I think that's huge for people who are in tough situations. When you go through tough situations, you either don't want to feel like a burden or you don't want to feel like you're putting pressure on others to do things for you. Mm. And you want people to just act like things are normal, but not even act if... You just if you just treat each other like things aren't different, you know they're different. You all know it, so you can't get away from that. But they just got on with their lives, then I was just wanting to get on with mine and it allowed me to focus on me, I think, a bit more because I didn't have to worry about them. Mm. I was able to think, Oh, well, yeah, they're doing their lives. They would just come and talk to me about what happened during the day and I thought, Great, good, I what I'm so happy that you're doing those things. Yeah. And I think it takes an incredibly strong person to be in the depths of darkness, but still be happy for others and and what others are achieving and succeeding in. And I think that to me shows your resilience more than anything else is that (laughs) that's a real like reflection of the character that you are, is that your world was changing around you, but you were still able to take that time to be like happy for others. And I think that's so special. Henry, it's been like an absolute pleasure to have you on. I think you're incredible. No, honestly, and it's been been really uplifting and I'm just so very, very proud of everything that you're doing and I'm looking forward to reading your second book. So I'll leave all of your links and your website and everything in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that we can find you? Maybe Twitter? Yeah, Twitter and Instagram at HenryFraserZero. Amazing. Thank you so much, Henry. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Give Me Strength. We appreciate any feedback you can give. So please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast and come back next week for another episode.